Welcome everyone to the Rethink It podcast, a podcast designed for equipping families and individuals struggling with brain health issues to identify practical, natural health science and lifestyle approaches to restore optimal brain health and prevent dementia. My podcast, my newsletter, my website, and my integrative practice all focus on providing down-to-earth solutions for upgrading and protecting brain health. This podcast is meant to supply women with brain fog and chronic health issues with the knowledge to choose affordable, effective tools and techniques that go beyond brain hacking. The goal is to preserve your quality of life, your health, your freedom, and your independence. I'm excited you're here today. I'm Sandy, your host for the next 30 minutes to an hour. Okay, guys, welcome back to the podcast um, on YouTube video. Uh, yeah, so you, I just want you guys to know that this is an emerging process for me. And, uh, yeah, there are definitely been bump or there definitely have been bumps along the way last year, last week, you guys trying to be early and on time so that I have these out to you guys in a regular, consistent manner. I had a wonderful interview, um, recorded with, I was so excited about it, with the gentleman from the Science of Light Foundation. It's a nonprofit foundation. And he gave this great, we had this great interview. It was so good um, about light. <laughs> and you guys know how much I love light. I talk about it all the time. I've given you guys challenges on, you know, getting light exposure at certain times of the day and things like that. But he really digs into it. And it was such a great episode. And then I went to review the podcast for you guys. And here it was like, it didn't, it didn't take his stuff. So basically I was hardwired. He was not. And his Wi-Fi went out. And so I lost like, m like 30 minutes of his conversation. So here I am recording the podcast I had actually intended to do before his anyway, which is about fluoride. So we did hear from our, uh, our wonderful, um, previous, um, guest, Don um, Ewing, who is the the uh, executive director of the International Academy of Biological Dentistry and Medicine. And she talked a little bit. She just touched on fluoride a little in that episode. That wasn't a fluoride episode. It was a biological dentistry episode where I wanted you to guys connect the, the mouth to the body. <laughs> um, so I hope that was helpful. And it is available both on YouTube and on our podcast. So go back and find it. It was an amazing episode. I actually learned a good bit during those interviews. And I was very thankful for her time. So in follow up to that episode that we had some some different changes of subjects in between, I wanted to touch on fluoride because fluoride is definitely something that some people still think are, is good for you. And it's, it, you know, maybe half of the population, I think it's actually less, um, know that this is actually not something that's awesome for the body. Um, doesn't even hit the radar of potentially being a source of root cause of things. So in practice, it's common for me to hear from my clients that they are really overwhelmed by contradictory information, which I'm sure this is the case for you guys. And, and they just want to give up. Maybe that's how you feel. Uh, I get it. I was there. <laughs> I really do understand that feeling. Um, and that's why I do this podcast. So I want to help you guys decipher the headlines and the health narratives regarding this particular subject of fluoride, especially. Now, I'm doing it in every podcast, but for sure in this podcast around surrounding fluoride, I want you guys to get the information and really be able to think through it. 
Um, I want you to be able to cipher the headlines and the health narratives that currently exist in a way that's easy to understand. You don't like you really shouldn't have to get a PhD in nutrition, a medical doctorate or a PhD in biology to be able or chemistry for that matter, because fluoride's a chemical, right? <laughs> to be able to interpret health science and advocate for yourself. Like it, you shouldn't have to have a, a degree to be able to do. You should be able to logically think through this. And that's my hope for you guys. Okay. So it took me about 20 years in medicine in medical practice. Okay. Remember I was the PA, went back to anesthesia school. I practice in anesthesia still. So, um, 20 years, it's actually been longer than that now. If you count my training, <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, so it took me 20 years to realize that the, that common, common, this common sense approach to thinking about the body and health and healing is actually more valuable then understanding the mechanisms of like 200 different prescription medications, which I think that's what we had to learn or more. I don't know. I felt like a million, <laughs> but um, anyhow, on, on one topic that's often fraught with like controversy and the main and, and definitely mainstream debate is over fluoride and, and um, health, human health, dental health. So on a personal note, I just want you guys to know that that's where my journey um, in, in challenging kind of the mainstream narrative about health, it began with fluoride. It was during my quest of trying to identify and eliminate any of the common chemicals that have been that were like contributing to my children's ADHD because I had one with ADHD that was really profound and one that was looking like he was going in the same direction. So I was eager to not follow in line with the first child who was medicated at age four. I wanted to do it more naturally by this time this third child came around and he was demonstrating similar symptoms. So in that research place where I kind of found, you know, the diet changes and modifications and things like that to do for him, I also stumbled onto research about fluoride and its effect on brain health. And it was shocking to me how much research existed about the negative effects, um, the health, negative health effects, and yet there was still no public conversation occurring around it at all. I remember sharing the information with a few of my well-educated, very well-educated colleagues who would not hear it. They would almost puppet the marketing. I, I call it a marketing jingle because that's what it sounds like. Anytime... Yet you, you know what to say and everybody's saying the same thing. It's a jingle. Okay. So this is a marketing jingle of the American Dental Association is fluoride prevents cavities. Right. So they would just respond with that. And I was like, but what about the other stuff? And it was the first time I realized that some of the most educated people I know um, do not make a habit of critically thinking about things that they were taught. Um, and it really was a turning point in my career. So to illustrate just how much contradictory information is out there, I just did a really quick Google search for you guys just to see what came up on the top. Okay. And, and I did it related to water fluoridation. Now I'm going to talk about fluoride in several ways because water fluoridation is the thing that everybody thinks about, but fluoride is actually in a lot of things. And we'll talk about that at the end. Um, but the first article that came up was published by the New York Times in 2021 and was I, it was titled Anchorage Mayor Briefly Shuts Off Fluoride in wa City's Water System. 
Okay. I will put that up here on the screen for you guys to see. And I also link that below so you can read that article if you want to. Um, I definitely want you to be able to read the whole thing because I'm just put it, I'm just going to highlight a few points. Okay. And so the article for, for those who aren't going to take the time to read it, it talks about an Anchorage mayor, Dave Bronson, who personally shut off fluoridation process, the fluoridation process at the water treatment plant, supposedly over safety and exposure concerns for the workers handling the fluoride at the plant. Okay. So that's already should tell you something. Fluoride poses a hazard, an occupational hazard. And so there's that. Okay. There's, there's already something that be putting in your little noggin there. Um, so the fluoridation system was essentially halted for about five hours. So other city leaders speculated that Bronson's motives were different. There was a quote from the article that goes like this. Some local officials question whether Mr. Mr. Bronson, a Republican, might have been motivated by false claims that safety of, of drinking fluoridated water, which have circulated for decades and have gained some traction in Alaska. The article goes on to explain that poor fluoridation in the state of Alaska has led to increases in cavity and that water fluoridation is considered by the CDC one of the top 10 public health achievements of the 20th century. Demonstrating the political nature of the, this issue, the article quotes a leading Democrat. And you guys, I'm not trying to be like Democrat, but I just want you to see that there is a political play here. So the, he quotes the leading Democrat. The Democrat is Mr. Constant, and he he's um, he's leading an investigation on Bronson's mo um, motives for, for for halting the fluoridation. And he says the following, and it's a quote, you guys. I'm not certain of the facts, but if proven true, this fits squarely into the Venn diagram of anti-science arguments so commonly these days: COVID denial anti-vaccine rhetoric, and anti-fluoride politics. Do you like my little Venn diagram here? So the article points out that um, Mayor Bronson is a former Air Force pilot who took office in July and was opposed to the mask and vaccine mandates um, in order to combat the coronavirus. And it said that in July, he did not plan to get the vaccine, which he called experimental. Okay, so here we're in an article talking about fluoride, and suddenly we're having a conversation about whether the sky is pro or against ma masks and the COVID vaccine. So my take a point takeaway point is that if you oppose fluoridation, clearly according to the New York Times, then you're among the extreme anti-science community. And I think that's an interesting position to promote given the next article that I am about to cover for you. This article is from the Harvard Review. Okay, now I just want to point out that whether the article is from a leading scientific journal or the New York Times, it's just really important to think critically about it and about the content, the content contained therein and ask yourself, does it pass the sniff test? And, you know, sometimes leading, or leading journals will publish things that are not accurate either. So, but the point here is we've got the New York Times and then we've got the Harvard Review. Okay, and the Harvard Review article is called The Impact of Fluoride on Neurological Development in Children. As opposed to the New York Times piece, um, it reviewed a wide amount of scientifically validated data. 
uh, to objectively and not politically examine the concerns about negative brain health effects from water fluoridation. Um, so the article begins with a statement, and here's the quote. It says, for years, health experts have been unable to agree on whether fluoride and drinking water may be toxic to the, to the developing human brain. Extremely high levels of fluoride are known to cause neurotoxicity in adults, and negative effects on memory and learning have been reported in rodent studies. But little is known about the substance's impact on children's neurodevelopment, which I would honestly I'm gonna pause for a second and say, bullcrap. <laughs> Okay, that's not true. There is a lot of data actually, and it goes all the way back into the 1980s, but we'll just go with it. Okay, this is what the Harvard Review says. Um, it goes on to review the information collected from large population meta-analysis from China. Um, the data suggests that IQ was highly affected by fluoridation, resulting in a seven point drop in IQ, which by the way is half of a standard deviation. That's huge. That's a very big drop. <laughs> so the article concludes with these statements. Fluoride seems to fit in with lead, mercury, and other poisons that cause chemical brain drain. The effect of each toxicant may seem small, but the combined damage on a population scale can be serious, especially because the brain power of the next generation is crucial to all of us. <laughs> So fluoride use in dentistry has a questionable history. Okay, so that was our article. What do you think about that? <laughs> so here we have fluoride and it's clearly got an effect on the brain, but we've been told for over a century that it is important for dental health and protecting us against cavities. That clearly that's what the New York Times article was proposing and, and saying that because of their areas in Alaska that weren't fluoridating, now they have higher cavity rates. We're gonna look at that in a second here. Um, a little in a lot more detail, but just so you know, the, there is a questionable history around fluoride, and I'm not going to really dig into the, the, you know, the long art, the long history of it. I'm sure there's other YouTubers have done that, other podcasts that will tell you that. Um, but it has, it is, it's a definite questionable history to say the least, and one that implicates implicates the health industry and one of many science for sale kind of cover-ups. Okay, let's just leave it at that. It shouldn't be too much of a surprise that a toxic halogen like fluoride would be approved as a health remedy in a time when mercurochrome, which is mercury, um, it's medicinal mercury, was given internally for a variety of health issues. Uh, uh, just an aside here, I was, because I'm a weirdo, I was reading about, um, what is that the the um matahari matahari okay matahari was a famous like risque stripper from the i would say she was a stripper um one of the first in france i think in the early 1900s and it went through her story i'm not gonna I'm not, this isn't about matahari but what caught my attention and of course because i'm always listening for health issues and science and blah, 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 was that she lost a child it, and they suspect it was because of the treatment that she was receiving, which was mercury. <laughs> I thought that was crazy. So anyway, sorry, an aside, going back on track here. <laughs> so you shouldn't be surprised that when fluoride was uh, approved, you know, for use in, for medicinal purposes, for dental health in the U.S., it was during a time that we used mercury as well to cure many things. Like that's, shouldn't be surprised 
surprising to you given the time. Remember everything in context. This is the time it was approved. It was approved during the time when we were using mercury, when tobacco was being endorsed by ads by your local doctors with his favorite brand of cigarettes in his pocket, literally. Um, it's the same tired story that applies to, to today to most corporate medicine. Just follow the money trail and you'll see where the recommendations come from. Sorry to say it. But we aren't here really to talk about the history of fluoride, though I would say the story is pretty capturing and it is about as capturing as any true crime story. And I would recommend a few books written by far more qualified people to talk on that subject. Um, people like the investigative journalist Christopher Bryson, who wrote The Fluoride Deception, detailing the history, the science, and all the dates in between. And you'll see a picture of that book here. Um, and I'll link to it in the show notes as well for those of you who aren't watching me on YouTube. <laughs> so today, I just want to raise your awareness on the negative impacts of fluoride on human health. That's all we're going to do today. We'll have a part two because there's so much information here um, where we really kind of talk about what you can do to prevent and, and heal and you know reduce your fluoride exposure and accumulation. Okay, But today, I just want to make you aware, just make you aware of the health impacts um, particularly because this is a brain health podcast, the health impacts on the brain. I want to give you some resources to help you identify, um, if your water is indeed fluoridated and you'll have those links in the show notes as well. And if so, how to reduce or limit or completely eliminate the fluoride, um, being exposed that you're being exposed to. Okay. Um, I don't want you to become overwhelmed. Y'all just breathe a second. <laughs> There's a little bit of chemistry here, but just it's not going to be too much. I just want you to know what's going on. Um, and I, yeah, I just want you to be empowered. You know, I want you to be empowered, not just to take, to protect yourself from the impacts, but also protect any of your children and your family, protect your brain. I mean, this is a big deal for the brain. And I'll tell you, I'll give you the reasons why here shortly. So there was an, um, a very large review published by the research, the National Research Council, and I will produce, give you that link as well. It's a free PDF. Um, it was by part of the National Academies of Science and published in 2006. And it's a very long document. And they go into all the review of the science, all the review of the literature. And then they give their recommendations. Like here's, we see that this is something that we're seeing like, uh, cancer. Well, we recommend that we need to look, do more studies on blah, blah, blah. That's the goal of this article um, by the National Academies of Science was to kind of see what the literature currently said and what needed to be further researched when it came to fluoride. Now, this came out after an article, I think that was in 2002. Now I have to look that one back up. That's just in the back of my head because um, I remember being shocked by it, but it was a large like retrospective study that showed um, a clear link to ADHD, um, bipolar disorder, depression, and something else, um, neuro, neuro behaviorally, um, and children exposed to levels of fluoride that are common in water. So that was kind of a shocking one, but this is a different study. This looks at everything. So I want just to highlight for you what they found. So in heavily fluoridated areas, and these are qualified by exposure levels, so the, the standard level in the water is 4 milligrams per liter, um, and in serum levels in some cases. So they found higher levels in heavily fluoridated areas of dental fluorosis, 
and skeletal fluorosis. Now, what is that? It's essentially where the bones of the skeleton get weaker um, and stiffer, and it leads to, with a skeletal fluorosis, it leads to pain, it leads to cancer, it leads to joint discomfort or arthritis. In the teeth, it actually leads to brittle pocket-like spots in the teeth where you, what you'll see in the teeth is this white um, white flex. And maybe I'll find a picture and post it here for you guys on the YouTube channel. Um, white specks all over the teeth. Okay, what that is is the like divots in the teeth that um, where cal calcium kind of tries to fill in and it gets this white irregularity. But in the nature of the bone, it's actually like like little divots and it actually increases the risk of food particles and stuff getting stuck in the enamel it weakens the enamel it's not good for the enamel <laughs> so here's one argument against you know internal use of fluoride for cavity prevention um, dental fluoros is a well-known thing well-known in the literature <laughs> when you're when it comes to uh how much you know taking fluoride internally and what it leads to um, you almost see no dental fluorosis when the exposure level is less than two milligrams per liter. Um, but uh, standard water fluoridation is about four milligrams per liter. So that's huge, right? Um, so the other things they found was osteoporosis and arthritis may be linked with that skeletal fluorosis. They showed they went into detail. Um, vertebral bone fractures and and osteoporosis here, people are taking bisphosphonates or whatever you're your current osteoporosis medication is to try to fix something that may be being caused by your exposure to fluoride. Okay. Disruption of reproductive hormones. So that was, that was interesting. Again, I mentioned in the last, in the podcast a while back that this great art, this great movie, but had Mark Ruffalo in it called Dark Waters. I highly recommend it. It's a little bit deep, um, but it, it goes over the, um, long, I think it was 20, 30 year, um, try or, uh, lawsuit against DuPont because of their discovery and the PFOAs, which you guys now know, maybe as forever chemicals. Um, those forever chemicals contain fluoride. That's why one of the reasons they're so bad and they never leave your body. Um, so one thing they just found was that it caused major reproductive disruption, right? So it's an endocrine disruptor. And certainly in reproductive hormones, there was a, a higher link with women who were exposed to fluoride levels, giving birth, clear link, giving birth to Down syndrome children. Um, it also interferes with just reproduction over, in general, whether or not you can have children. So that's a huge thing. Of course, in this podcast, it's important to point out the brain health issue or kind of touched on it a little bit, but fluoride definitely, that was a big like it was huge for me to say this in print, like fluoride interferes with brain function both directly and indirectly, according to the studies, both ways, like directly and indirectly, meaning it literally affects the actual neurons in the brain and it actually works indirectly. It may affect the endocrine system, which then affects the nervous system, right? So directly and indirectly. So population is exposed. This is from the article, literally. Population exposed to different concentrations of fluoride in drinking water should include measurements of reasoning, ability, problem-solving, IQ, short and long-term memory because of the risk that they saw. And the changes in IQ, the 
the the ability to concentrate, the problem solving ability, and their short and long term memory was affected in these studies. So, and also they clearly made a link between fluoride, cumulative fluoride, and dementia. So there's that. The endocrine system is affected without question. So the endocrine organs are most clearly impacted, um, or at least they're very the the organs that are most clearly impacted are researched, at least in this study. And there's there's many many more. There's so much research on this this topic, you guys. So I'm trying to keep it simple. But the ones that are the most um, clearly impacted, most clearly demonstrated in this study, were the thyroid, the parathyroid, and the pineal gland. Um, when these organs are disrupted, nearly every other organ is disrupted. Anybody with low thyroid can attest to that, right? Everything's affected. You got brain health issues. You're gaining weight. Your reproduction doesn't work right. Your gut doesn't work right. Nothing works right if your thyroid doesn't work right. So at this point, I just want to show you, and I'm going to actually try to do this myself instead of having my smart little guys over there editing my podcast do it for you. But I'm going to show you the periodic table and let you logically think through this so you guys can learn how to do it without having a PhD, right? Don't freak out my non-science minded people. Okay. I'm just appealing to your logic. Um, you know, this isn't going to be a science lecture, but, um, but for you guys, you podcasters, I'm going to link the a picture of the periodic table, or you can maybe try to pop over to this pot YouTube and check it out. And, but I will put it in the, in the, um, show notes. I've got a bunch of stuff I'm putting in the show notes for you guys, <laughs> for YouTubers out here. Let's take a look at this eighth grade nightmare together, this periodic table. Let's see if I can share my screen and find it for you guys. Then I wish this was bigger. I don't know if I can make it bigger, but I'll just read it to you from here. You've got this, this column is the column I want you to look at. This one right here. It's a very important column. This is the halogens column. Okay, and in this column, what you see um, that happens is the top of the column are your most reactive chemicals, and as you go down, they become less reactive. Okay, so what that means is when it comes to binding with another chemical or say even a cell receptor, you're going to have um, more readily binding um, elements at the very top of this column. So what I'm looking at here for you podcasters is the halogen column and it has, and I'm going to read it to you guys. It's fluoride at the top, chlorine at the right underneath fluoride, bromine right underneath chlorine and iodine right under bromine. Okay. So that's important. Why? Cause I just said fluoride is the most react, you know, the one at the top is the most reactive. So what if you are consuming fluoride in your water every day and you might be say deficient in iodine okay for those of you who don't know iodine is incredibly important for thyroid hormone production it's triiodo iodo something triiodo something for your t3 right so and tetraiodo something for t4 so iodo meaning iodine okay so iodine is necessary for good thyroid hormone function. If say you've got a lot of fluoride and you don't have a lot of iodine cause you're not eating well. And uh, just so you know, studies show that we have very poor iodine consumption in the U S 
I came out of school thinking it was just in certain cultures where we, other countries, not the U.S., where we had, you know, iodine deficiency. But it turns out that's not true, <laughs> um, at least not anymore. Um, iodine deficiency is actually found. It's kind of, it's definitely found in the U.S. and it's a, a global issue. Uh, maybe it's gut health, who knows. But what we know is that iodine is deficient. And here we go putting fluoride in our water. So if we do have some iodine, what do you think is going to bind first? Iodine or fluoride? Fluoride, of course, because it's at the top. But what I want to point out too is down here, and this is just for your own sake, and it's not about the fluoride um, at this moment. I'm just taking it aside for a second. But yeah, fluoride and chlorine. Chlorine is obviously used in water. Even your salt water converts to chlorine and makes chlorine. So, you know, chlorine is is an exposure that you get as well. In your tap water, they chlorinate the water as well. So they don't just fluoridate it, they chlorinate it. Why? Because chlorine kills bacteria. So we've got fluoride, chlorine in our water. So we have no chance with this iodine. How many of you guys know of somebody with low thyroid? Do you have low thyroid? Hmm, could it possibly be an exposure? It very well could be. But let's go one more down. We got bromine, okay? And this is just, I know it's not a part of a fluoride conversation, but bromine is a halogen. And you want to know where you find bromine? You find it in your bread. You find it in your white flour. So every flour on the shelf in the grocery store, except for a few brands that have become smart about this and know this is an issue, rominate their flour. So now you've got three halogens that you are commonly being exposed to that are competing with iodine. So do you think it affects your endocrine system? Heck yeah. So it, that's the story with um, endocrine disruption and um, fluoride. So I hope that kind of helps you guys understand that a little bit better. And I hope it wasn't too much of a detour into the um, chemical chemistry world. Um, but yeah, so needless to say, Thyroid and parathyroid and pineal gland are definitely affected. And the pineal gland is really important because what what does the pineal gland make? Does, if anybody knows, maybe put it in the comments. But it's it's melatonin. It makes melatonin. Okay. And I I think sleep dysfunction is like on the top of the complaints that I get from clients and from friends and family. Like everybody has sleep issues. Um Maybe it's something to do with the environmental exposure to fluoride, chlorine, bromine. <laughs> um, there was a great um, scientist named Dr. Klinghart. He has um, loads of research, and if you want to do look into his stuff, go for it. He's got loads of research, medical doctor, uh, trained in Germany, went and learned um, Ayurvedic medicine and all those things. And one of his big um, topics of research is the effect of fluoride and, and the effect it has on the pineal gland. So the pineal gland is absolutely an issue. And all of those are this, those are all brain organs. Oh, the pineal gland is parathyroid sits beside your thyroid. Um, and that regulates calcium and um, vitamin D and, you know, those type of things. And that's an important segue into the next step. There was actually in the study, they talked about the GI kidney and immune effects, GI and actually clump liver into that GI system. Um, but one of the things that they found was that there is a potential link between high levels of fluoride exposure 
and kidney stones. So, you know, obviously the kidneys affected. Um, there were studies that showed elevations in kidney function tests and liver function tests. So there's some injury that occurs from lots of fluoride exposure. What is lots of fluoride exposure? I think that's the question isn't really quantitative so much as you know, subjective, because you have the dose levels that we know are bad for a lot of people, but then not everybody's the same. So there is that to consider. Um, so they did find, you know, low-grade kidney damage, liver damage, um, immune system suppression. Um, I did a, a study of this a while back, and it was shocking to me. <laughs> All of the areas of the immune system were suppressed. Now, Fluoride tends to suppress bone marrow protection of white blood cells. Um, it tends to hide out in fatty areas like your bone marrow, so it's certainly linked to the immune suppression of those white blood cells. But what's interesting, it actually also affects the way your white blood cells move in the body. It affects them directly on a cellular level. So not just their production from the bone marrow, but actually their movement on their own um, to get to where the bugs and the bad stuff is, right? <laughs> to do your immune defense. So um, the other thing that was interesting about it and is linked a little bit to that immune suppression is the link to cancer. And there were some specific cancers linked with fluoridosis, um, and that would be your bone, uh, bone cancer, joint cancer, kidney cancer, bladder cancer, oral cancer, and uterine cancer. Um, so the problem is really twofold, okay? You, you don't know when, first of all, in the water, you don't know how much fluoride you're actually being exposed to regularly, okay? If you're drinking water, I've never heard of any other place where you can, you can legally put a chemical in the water system and say it's four milligrams, but you, you have no control of the variables of how the water is flowing to different households, you know, you don't know their baseline health of the households, and you're just going to carte blanche, put down, put a chemical in the water and just go, it's good for people. Well, I can't necessarily take, you know, a certain drug. Maybe I'm allergic to penicillin. I can't necessarily have penicillin. So why do you think it's okay to give me maybe, pen you know what I'm saying? Like everybody has a little bit of a unique response to things. So why would we think that we can just give everybody a chemical? It doesn't make any sense. So you don't really know what what level you're being exposed to. You know, it's not like they're over here publishing every day. Like in Colorado, in this in this county, we're giving you this much fluoride. You got to do some digging to find that. But the thing is, it's not just in your water. So if fluoride was just in the water, that would be one thing. But it is not. It is contained in almost every single medication, which is kind of shocking to me. Uh, I mean, I regularly look at the, the inserts on drugs. I look at the inactive ingredients, especially I just get a I developed a habit of doing that because of my, um, my, um, experience looking at the, the, the package inserts when I was looking at my child's ADHD medication. Um, I was shocked to find, you know, that we had in there like dyes and dyes are known to cause, you know, hyperactivity in kids. So I'm, I just kind of got used to looking at package inserts. Sometimes, most of the time you can find those if you Google it, like say you have your, go, go look at the prescriptions you're on and Google package insert for that prescription and particularly search 
for the inactive ingredients, because that's where you'll find some of the things that you're like, what? What's that doing in there? You know, and one of the things that shocked me is that I was looking up albuterol. Albuterol contains fluoride. So here you're puffing in your you know, albuterol to help open your lungs, but you're also puffing in some fluoride. You know, how much fluoride? Plus how much fluoride in my water? Plus maybe I'm also on prednisone. Does it have fluoride in it too? Yes, it does, by the way. Um, so, so you got fluoride coming to you in all kinds of ways. Um, fluoride's also in PFOAs. PFOAs are, they're getting a lot press recently. They're in the headlines a little bit. Um, they're called those forever chemicals. That's what I was talking about, um, was talked about in that movie, The um, Dark Waters. I highly recommend it. Um, but those forever chemicals are found in your cookware, in your clothing, in your makeup. <laughs> they're in everything. So you're getting exposed to fluoride there, 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 everywhere. It's a major component in anesthesia. Fluoride is what we use in anesthesia. So you getting your exposure levels can vary significantly and uptick significantly depending on your personal exposure. Um, and that's a big deal. And then second point, and I said this in the mold thing, and it's true here too, is if your organs of elimination don't work well and you don't clear chemicals well, maybe you don't clear anything well, maybe your detox pathways are terrible, you know, well, how that's going to affect you differently. Fluoride will affect you differently than it will somebody who has that hard, ruddy stock that can take on anything. They can smoke till they're 90 and they don't die and they don't have any cancer, right? They have different detox pathways than you do. Um, or you, whoever has, you know, elimination issues. So those are things to consider. Um, that's a big problem. So what do we do with all of this? That's the question, right? How do we protect ourselves from the damaging effects of fluoride? So I want you guys to tune in. Don't hate me for leaving y'all hanging here. But this is a long episode and I don't want it to be too overwhelming. Tune in next time. All right. I will dig into some of those key tools that you need um, to use to recover from fluoride exposure. For now, I just want you to have it on your radar that it's a potential cause of some of your health issues. Do you struggle with any of those issues? Do you have dental fluorosis? Do you have joint problems? Do you have osteoporosis? Have you ever had a cancer? Do you have constant low-grade immune suppression? Do you have ADHD? Do you have depression? Are you, are you brain foggy? You know, is your thyroid a disaster? Do you sleep terribly? Those are all things I think about. Maybe fluoride is causing some of them. Okay, something to consider. So that's all I've got for you guys today. I will see you next time. For the next six months, as we try to get the word out there about this podcast content, we are offering a very special promotion. We will be doing a drawing to give away a free MRT food sensitivity test, which samples the top 88 common food sensitivities. This test has a value of $399 and we will be giving it away for free. MRT is the most advanced and reliable test for hidden inflammatory reactions to foods and food chemicals, and it identifies your best foods. So this is not an allergen test. This is a food sensitivity test. This helps you when you identify your best foods and I, all this hidden inflammatory reaction. It helps you make a strategic food plan in order to rapidly reduce systemic and digestive inflammation which improves outcomes of any other digestive health program that you're currently participating in. This is something I do for a lot of my clients um, in order to rapidly get ahead of the inflammation that they're dealing with. For more information about the test, please go to our website, Beyond 
brainhealth.com and check out the direct to you labs. We'll, we'll also provide a link for you in the show notes. So you can check that out as well if that's an easier direction for you. But as I said above, I am excited to offer this test, this $399 test to you for free. Here's how you qualify to get it for free. Okay. So I'm going to warn you since this test is almost $400, there are a few steps you must qualify. I mean, you must follow to qualify for this drawing. Okay. It's a $400 test. So it's not just one step you guys. <laughs> so here we go. Go to your show notes on whatever podcaster you're listening on, whether it's Google, Apple, or Spotify, give us a rating good or bad. I appreciate both and comment on the podcast. I really appreciate the honest feedback, especially as I'm growing and learning this whole post podcasting education process. I want you guys to really enjoy our time together. So let me know how I'm doing. All right, number two, step number two, you will also follow us on Instagram or Facebook, please, and give us a comment there as well. Those links should also be found on every single episode of our show notes. So you just need to open the show notes that you're listening on right now and, you know, click, click the link to your Instagram or Facebook, um, whichever you guys prefer social media platform that you prefer to be on and follow us there and give us a comment. And lastly, to qualify for the drawing, please share this podcast with at least one person. Okay. So to sum up, you're giving us a rating on your favorite podcaster, whichever one you prefer. You're going to follow us on the podcast and on Instagram or Facebook, whichever you're on and give us a comment on both. And lastly, you're going to share this content at, with at least one person. That's a few steps, but it shouldn't take you more than 60 seconds to complete all three. We will be doing the drawing on December 15th, 2023. So let's get the word out there. My hope is that this podcast has left you with a few new insights, hopefully some encouragement, and most importantly, some actionable steps forward toward healing your body and your brain. If you found this content helpful, please don't forget to give us a like and, a, and share it with someone else who might benefit from it. Also, don't forget to follow us on our Instagram and Facebook pages. I love hearing from you guys. I look forward to spending some time with you again soon. So until then, celebrate the small victories. There really is hope for lasting healing. <laughs>